breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty. Mornings on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike M. McCarty, Lewis R. Avalone from American Ground Radio and the Republican Party of Caddo Parish. Uh in studio with us this morning. Again, I can't thank you enough for coming in. Appreciate your time. It is my absolute pleasure. Uh, well, we are grateful that you're here. Uh by the way, if uh, if you're just getting up, when I was coming in this morning, and Ruben was even earlier than me, it was like 72 degrees yeah. on the way in. Lewis I had, came I had in. My windows cracked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I opened the front door when I when I come out, and you expect a cold blast to get. You know, I grabbed a jacket, and I was like, well, I don't need this. Uh, it's like 72 degrees, but when Lewis was coming in, you said it was already dropped like 20 degrees or something. Yeah, like just. Driving from my house in southeast Shreveport uh, here to the studio, I was like, "Where am I?" I mean, you got out of the got out of the car, and it's very it it's, it's noticeable. Okay, and it's not cold, cold, but it's a significant difference from uh, well, seventy go- degrees and humid uh, to to a crisp, uh, you know. Yeah. Morning, uh, Chris. Cold morning air. And well, you, I'll, I'll yeah. have to go back outside and check that out because uh, I was disappointed when I opened the front door. <laughs> and of course, here in the studio, it's ninety-two yeah. and humid. Yeah. You know, but uh, but they they do they do have a, a cover over the thermostat, which which I do understand <laughs> because you've got you know how many people in the building and, right. and everybody's wants something different, and so I, I, I get that, and and I. I actually froze the unit up one time several months ago. Well, that's why they have the cover. On. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I, it, and it's locked. And it, exactly, yeah. Uh, there's been some discussion. Uh, there's a, a proposed bridge going to be built connecting South Shreveport and Bozier, and uh, apparently it's going to be a toll bridge. And there are some people raising concerns about taxpayer money being used to fund this toll bridge well my understanding and is there there are no taxpayer funds being used exactly uh the the attorney representing the tim james company uh said or the, uh, mr bradford said that uh no it's this is a privately funded project it's 80 to 100 million dollar project that uh they're getting private funding for and uh so there won't be tax uh tax dollars used to put this, but I thought this was interesting. Well, absolutely. Why? So why would somebody just? Look, I want to go build a bridge across the Red River. Well, they have experience doing this. In fact, this same company is, and I believe I'm going to not going to quote uh, the exact name, but in Alabama, uh, connecting uh, the Gulf, uh, like the Gulf Shores, the Orange Beach area, mm-hmm. uh, with. I believe that's I-10. Uh, they actually built that entire stretch, uh, which includes bridges, et cetera, and that is a toll road there in Alabama. So this is a company that has lots of experience doing that. What was interesting, and, and several months ago, and I have, I'm frantically looking for that information here on my laptop, because we actually spoke with William Bradford mm-hmm. and the developer uh, of a golf facility 
that is being proposed on the Bossier side of this bridge. So there are th- literally thousands of acres that have ah, been bought up there we go. on that side of the on that side of the river and it's it's not going to be the top golf brand facility that lots of folks are familiar with mm-hmm. but it will be a similar one that is being that will be built on that side of the river so it'll have like the multi-level tee boxes apparently and you can hit yeah. golf balls off into the field but you know there's a lot of questions and and i don't have a lot more information than than most folks but lots of people have been asking questions about the shreveport Bossier port commission because they have been buying up literally thousands of acres both on the Bossier side of the river and in fact they have bought i don't know if it's thousands but i know it's uh, several hundreds of acres on the Bossier side oh excuse me on the caddo parish side so much so if you've ever driven down robson road mm-hmm. you know there was always that uh, yellow uh, propeller airplane, propeller-driven airplane that, you know, would a crop duster. Right. Oh, we used to love to watch crop dusters when I was a kid. Well, if you've ever driven down Robson Road, you know where I'm talking about. That crop duster is gone, and that property is now owned by the Caddo Bossier Port Commission. And lots of folks are asking questions, why is the Caddo Bossier Port Commission buying up so much property. Now, many people have speculated that it is because of I-69. And now, perhaps the questions will be asked, perhaps it was for this bridge. And so, you know, not many things happen just by coincidence. And so the question is... Well, not when you're investing millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. And so the question is, you know, have... All of these purchases, these land purchases by the Cattle Bossier Port Commission, been a, a prelude to this company coming in and saying, hey, we're going to build a bridge at our expense. There's nothing nefarious here, perhaps, but nevertheless, I'm just trying to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Now, the proposed site of the bridge is, is south of the Jimmy Davis Bridge location. It's not. It's not there. It's going to be further south. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it like at the, literally at the port. Okay, a little so further south of the port. Actually, even further south than the port. Yes. Okay. Would that generate enough traffic to warrant having a toll bridge? Well, I mean, certainly to the extent that I sixty nine. Now you have to remember, I sixty nine is expected to come alongside. Wallace Lake Dam Road, if you know where that is, where Wallace Lake Dam mm-hmm. Road crosses Ellerby Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a pecan orchard there. there well, there's several pecan orchards there. And that is the path. So the trajectory of I-69 currently is in that general vicinity and, and actually will, in fact, come just south of the port. But but when is when is the projected I-69 opening you know never no no there's there's probably lots of folks out <laughs> we there we can't connect 49 no absolutely but there are i believe i69 actually has more momentum than i49 still never happen in our lifetime i don't know there's there are folks out there that probably would disagree with you i i don't oh there's I don't a lot know. of people that disagree with me all the time <laughs> but it, but again it, that road coming through Texas, I know, I-69 coming through Texas, 
I forget how far it's come along, but it is fairly fairly uh, well. Now, 69 would be a north-south route. All the way to Canada. Okay. From? From Houston, was... basically. Okay. And so that, again, here's another major interstate coming through a community as ours that already, you know, you have I-49, you know, of course, uh, I-20, and now I-69. So it it bodes very well, I believe, for our community, for future economic development. But again, we are so in debt uh, in terms of our, our federal deficit, our federal, our national debt, you know, the question is, will there be funds? But at least they want to raise the debt ceiling. Exactly. But look, I, I applaud anyone that's building, uh, you know, building anything sure. new. Build yeah. it and they will come. Oh, I'm not disparaging them. It's just, this is just, a, it, it's, this is very interesting to me, uh, uh, the proposed toll bridge. When I first heard it, I thought they were going to make Jimmy Davis Bridge a toll bridge, but that's not that the case at all. This is a, a project further, way further Significantly south. Significantly south. Yeah. Right. All right. Louis R. Avalone in for Aaron McCarty. Uh, Mike and McCarty, 1017. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty. Is it Friday yet? Not Lu- quite. <laughs> Louis R. Avalone in studio for Aaron. Uh, I didn't talk to Aaron. Well, yes, I did. I, I, I texted with her a little bit yesterday. Um, she's doing well. She even got out and about a little bit yesterday. Excellent. So yeah, she's feeling much better. I think I, I think I saw on social media where she got her hair did. Yes, that's what she she texted me. She says I had to go get my hair did. So she, she because she's got one wing tied up real tightly, so she can't really uh, function fully yet. But uh, she says I can drive with one hand. No, that's tough. Have you ever had a shoulder injury? I broke my collarbone uh, when I was a. I say a kid. I was riding bicycles. I I used to think I was evil Knievel. Sure. And uh, we used to build ramps, you know, and jump these ramps. And yeah, one. We thought it was a, a a really cool trick. There was three of us, and and we followed each other one right after the other, you know, on the big plywood on on like four cinder blocks. Well, the first guy hit it and it bounced a little bit, and the second guy hit it and it bounced a little bit more. So by the time I hit it. You just it went just, right into the bricks. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what happened and went right over the handlebars. Did you ever take a playing card? I'm getting get into oh, the weeds here. Uh, you ever take a playing card and tape it onto the bike we right by the wheels? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, now it's a motorized vehicle or a motorized bike. Right? Motorized, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I broke my collarbone, um, I didn't cry. Um, until I got to the ER and they had to cut right down the middle of my Larry Zonka jersey. Oh, wow. Right between the three and the nine. And they had to cut my jersey off. I was like, no. <laughs> wow. What an idiot. But uh, oh, but... Wait, that's happened to everyone. Come on. I mean, how many how many young boys and girls have not had the pleasure of having a playing card taped to their bicycle <laughs> so that they could enjoy the sound of a 
motorized bicycle. I mean, th- those are simple pleasures. It, absolutely. But you remember. And we rode bikes all over the place. We never came home. I mean, once the sun came up, you know, especially during the summer, we were we were out and didn't come back in. My mom had... <laughs> My mom had a bell, like a, like a, a an old medieval, you know, uh, mom in in the woods or something, and she'd ring that bell, and we knew, okay, we had to be had to get home. Supper was ready. Well, you can stay out now. Nowadays, you just do it virtually. You put that that uh, so mask sad. on that over your so over your eyes, and uh, you can be anywhere. I mean, it's remarkable. I don't know if you've ever no, experienced the, the I, I virtual haven't. reality, uh, uh, but that is it is remarkable. The technology at GeekedCon, I think they've got a booth set up where, with where you can try those. And I had, in fact, I knew I knew one of the guys that was running that booth, and uh, he said, "Come, hey, you got to come try this." I said, "Okay," but I we we're, we're working it, so right, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't have time <laughs> to go play. Um, but uh, but I would like to try it. But then I would be, you know, then it, then it kind of scares me because I, it's like the guy who said have, who was asked if he's ever had that back guano coffee or whatever, and it's like a hundred and fifty dollars a cup. Sure. And he said no because I'm afraid I would like it. Yeah, no. And I, then what would it, you know? Now bat I'm, I'm guano a, coffee. Oh yeah, look it up. There's a coffee made out of bat guano. Are you sure it's not cat? Because there's one called Cappy Luwak. I don't know, but we're getting way into the weeds. Yeah, we're we're talking the weeds talking this morning. I I thought it was bat guano. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, But but uh, but I haven't done the virtual reality. I remember seeing a post. uh, Somebody said, uh, and it was two pictures. It says, "I'm glad I grew up doing this." And it was five or six kids, and they were covered in mud and playing outside. And it was obviously in the '70s or '60s instead of this. And it was you know four or five kids just sitting around on their phones just texting or tweeting or whatever they were doing. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. I well, think, there is. Well, <laughs> well, what I mean by that is I think at the heart of that are, are the relationships that you miss out on. Oh, absolutely. The richness of relationships with other human beings face in the to moment. Face-to-face interaction. You know, uh, in 1960, in 1960, maybe it was 19, I think it was 60, not 59, when... John F. Kennedy debated Richard Nixon. The folks who heard the debate on radio, mm-hmm. they believed that Nixon won the debate. Oh, they thought he was by by far, hands down. John F. Kennedy, however, those that watched the debate, they thought John F. Kennedy won the debate because there's something about seeing another human That's being. Interesting. And plus he was better looking than Nixon. Well, I mean, you know, Nixon was sweating it. all over the place. Abraham Lincoln couldn't get elected today simply because of the way he looked. You know, we're, yeah, we're he, such a he's a rugged, rugged man. <laughs> Louis R. Avalone in for Aaron, Mike and McCarty, one hundred one seven. Hey. All right, Ruben, I, I stand corrected. 1017 FM, 710 Keel. Mike and McCarty with Louis R. Avalonian Studio. And you write, Kopi, Kopi Luwak 
is the the guano coffee. It's not <laughs> bat guano, which I normally associate the word guano with. Uh-huh. Uh, and and if you look, if you're eating if you're eating breakfast or preparing your breakfast, just hold on a second. But it's uh, coffee consisting of partially digested coffee cherries that have been eaten. I apologize and defecated by the Asian palm civet. Oh yeah, the civet. So of course the civet. It, it <laughs> looks like a little rat, quite frankly, is what it looks like. So it kind of looks like a bat in the face. Maybe yeah, that's what yeah, it is. Maybe. <laughs> But it's yeah. I'm glad we could clear that up. And Asia, yeah, this, that was bothering me immensely. I'm still passing on the coffee. Just <laughs> no, Lewis, I, asked, I said I'm gonna go get some more coffee. You want something? You go, no, I'm good. <laughs> After the talk of that, we we don't have guano coffee here. I promise. Uh, but by oh, and real quick, they say in the within the coffee industry. Uh, it's kind of considered a novelty. Yeah, it's like not, a joke. It's yeah. really not that good. It's more the story, right, than the taste. So, yeah, Ugh. not going to have it anyway. Give me my community. Yeah, Thank no, you very yeah. much. Yeah, no thanks. Mikey McCarty, 101.7 FM, 710. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten. Keel, Mike, and McCarty. Aaron out uh, the rest of this week, and I think some of next week. Although she was feeling pretty good yesterday when I talked to her, and uh, she was out and about. So uh, hopefully she'll uh, get an early release from the doctor. She said she can't come back, and they were saying two weeks, Yeesh. which was from last Thursday. So uh, we'll, we'll hopefully she gets a, a, an early release. But she was. Uh, Getting her hair done yesterday. Very nice. So, yeah. Well, maybe we need to call the doctor and tell him, you know, she ain't laying bricks over here. That's what I. That's exactly <laughs> what I said. That's, when she told me that, I said, "They know you're not a bricklayer, right? You're not pulling these hovels of bricks around." No, there's no wheelbarrows here. So. Um, anyway, uh, Louis R. Avalone graciously uh, guest hosting with me this morning. I'm grateful for you to be here. Pleasure to be here. Now we talked earlier about this kind of little kerfuffle that happened at the city council meeting on oh, monday man i mean this, this is, is uncalled for and has there has there been anything since then that where one of the council members out and out called city engineer patrick furlong a liar they owe him those two city council women owe him an apology because look so we're talking about city engineer patrick furlong he went before the council on monday and he reported that because of steep inflation, that many of the projects that the city council had budgeted for last year have increased in cost. That's it. He said one, one project, for example, rose by just a million dollars in the last month. That had already gone up by $3 million. Right. He said we got an it, estimate six months ago. They yes. told us $3 million. Three million more additional, right? And a month ago, they met with the engineers, and now they say it's four million more. So it's up another million. So council members Bowman and Taylor Taylor said they weren't having it. And now, look, I can understand their frustration trying to get projects done for their districts. I understand that, but not. 
So here, yeah. Here, taking an engineer to task who's simply reporting figures. Exactly. So he reports this in a very demure, professional manner. It's no, no theatrics. He's just telling them the facts. And Councilwoman Ursula Bowman says this. It's because you keep telling us lie after lie after lie. And we need some transparency. Now, my question is, what was he lying about? And here's the other part is, and folks, you're going to work. I mean, can you imagine an employee coming to you or you going to your boss and saying, hey, boss, this project that we had budgeted X or that I had estimated would cost X. Now the vendor, the manufacturer says it's going to cost Y. And your boss looks at you and say, you know, you're just lying to me. You're telling me lie after lie after lie, and I, I'm not having it. What does that mean? I mean, it, it doesn't like he's mean... going to take the, the original cost of the project and then get $4 million more and go, <laughs> I just made $4 million. You know, and you, you've got to ask the I mean, question. I mean, so what's the basis of, of accusing him as, of being a liar? I, I think it's defamation. I mean, do city council members possess immunity from defamation charges? I mean, as an employee of the city, can Patrick Furlong file a complaint with the Human Resources Department? I mean, what recourse does this civil servant have after being berated in public by someone in a position to exert power over him professionally by virtue of the privilege that they have of being in sworn office? Does this qualify for on-the-job harassment or a hostile work environment? I mean, and, and lots of folks may say, oh, you're making a big deal here. They're just upset. But couldn't you have spoken to him privately, gotten the facts first before you called him a liar? Or, or spoken respectfully in public. Yeah, you could have done that, too. Speak like you want to be spoken to. It, it's it's inexcusable in, in my opinion, but it's just my humble opinion. Uh, 101.7 FM. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, Lewis R. Abalone in with us this morning. And uh, we talked a little bit yesterday about this, and we've got Senator Bill Cassidy uh, going to join us uh, later this morning, I think around eight thirty. And one of the things that uh, we're going to discuss is, you know, who's in charge? Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Who is in charge? The commander in chief is not in charge. Um, you, you, you allow a, a spy balloon that we apparently knew it was from China. The, the first reports we heard, it's a Chinese spy balloon. How they knew that, I don't know, unless they knew beforehand. No, it's required. They have a sticker on the bottom of it, <laughs> yeah. and it says made in China. It, it, like everything else in the United States. But it, it, they let it go all the way across the country, take all the pictures, video, information that it wanted, and then shot it down. Uh, after public outcry of, of why is this happening over our airspace, nobody's protecting our airspace. But now there are these other airborne objects that no one knows what they are. So how Senator you... Kennedy uh, from Washington yesterday, he was briefed on this by the military. 
And at the end of his remarks, he said, lock your doors tonight. Yeah. And, and you know... I, I heard that. I heard that exchange, and it's, it was like, wait a minute, wait, why? Because it was an offhand, almost an offhand comment as he was leaving. As he was leaving. But he said tonight. that we have had unidentified flying objects since 20, this has been going on since 2017. And our military, apparently, and again, this could all be propaganda, but our military apparently says they don't know what it is. They don't know so what these shoot objects it down, are. Not knowing what it is. But see, that's the other part. Here you have the commander in chief ordering his military to fire off 1.7 million dollars worth of missiles to destroy airborne objects without a reasonable notion of what they are shooting at. You know, any military officer in a in a combatant role would be expected at a minimum to know what they are ordering their men to shoot at. Identify and, the target. I mean, the, what and, are you shooting at a you know a Southwest Airline jet? I mean, are you're you using, shooting at a right. weather balloon? Are you shooting at you know at, at some guy with one of those uh, free those? Remember the the little planes the guys used to make in their garage and they'd fly around the neighborhood. You know, I mean, you don't know what you're you shooting. You really at? don't know. And the question is, is it time for Joe Biden to go? Is it time to enact the 25th Amendment and compel Joe Biden to step down as president? Yes, I know we'll end up with Kamala Harris. That was my. What are we going to get? If, and and if no, do we that. don't want that. But at the same time, do we want this man in the Oval Office whose decision making, I guess, inattention has become a clear and present danger to the United States? I, I, many people may say, oh, that's a, an exaggeration. But is it? No, it is not. I mean, you have these airborne objects that are violating your airspace. How, how are you protecting your citizens? How, how are you protecting this country's assets if you aren't making decisions to protect it? You, you made a comment yesterday about something else, but it, it, but it applies here. Follow the money. Follow the money. Unfortunately, you probably are absolutely right. Louis R. Avalone in for Aaron, Mike and McCarty, 1017 FM, 710 Keel. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty Lewis R. Avalone guest hosting with me this morning while Erin is recuperating from her shoulder surgery. Uh in studio with us this morning, Dr. Philip Roseman, a local cardiologist and education advocate, and uh, Dr. Laura Cassidy, who um a medical doctor in Baton Rouge, and we've got your husband coming on, by the way, later this morning. Uh and she's in here. You founded the Louisiana Key Academy. In Baton Rouge, is that correct? Yes, ten years ago, uh, Louisiana Key Academy, a charter school for children with dyslexia, opened its doors. We have a second school in uh, Covington on the North Shore, and then this will be our third school here in Caddo Parish, serving all the local parishes. And uh, Philip, we talked about this before. And my, my first question was: Are there enough students to fill an entire school? 
you know, that, that, that suffer with dyslexia, I was surprised at the number of people. Yeah, I was too. Uh, when I first began to learn this, about 20% of uh, students will have some form of dyslexia and it can be moderately and severe and maybe 10%. So we're talking about a huge group of people that have significant problems. When we first started to do this and I started to go around talking about this school here in Caddo Parish, I was shocked at some of the people uh, that had struggled with dyslexia who are very successful today, but only so because they were able to get the help that they needed when they were young. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so this is, um, uh, this is something that's really needed because this is, uh, because uh, it's very expensive on a private level, and we're talking about a public school to serve dyslexic children. So there won't be a cost to parents for their children to, uh, to be able to go to uh, this school, Louisiana Key Academy. It's a public school, like any other public school. It's a charter school. This is amazing. It is. Uh, I, it is very innovative. They don't even have this in Texas. So uh, we're, we're ahead in that regard. We're being very innovative. Now, the location, uh, tell us about uh, you're, you're taking an existing, uh, now empty school in rehabbing that facility we were lucky uh, I think and kind of happening upon and having Arthur Circle School having been closed about 10 years ago uh, by the school system because there wasn't a need for it at the time uh, but we're resurrecting and remodeling uh, Arthur Circle School in Broadmoor and that is a great location uh, for this school. It's a, it's a very safe location. It's in a, a, a part of town that's very accessible, not only to people from Caddo, but as Laura said, this is also Bossier and Webster, DeSoto, all around. I think in Baton Rouge, they serve about 12 parishes in that school, and people come from New Orleans to Baton Rouge to have their kids in the school at the Louisiana Key Academy. And that was going to be my next question. And, Lewis, you jump in if you want. No, I was just asking, what other locations around the state do we have these types of uh, facilities? Right. So our, our, our flagship is in Baton Rouge. It's been there for 10 years. And then we have the second school in Covington, which is finishing its first year. And then we'll have the one here in Caddo. Are there other locations planned? Yes. We hope to have about... Um, uh, at least five or six schools across the state over so, the next five years. And Philip, you just mentioned a moment ago, this is not just for Caddo Parish, is it? These are going to be, you're going to be able to, we've got construction in the building. You can probably hear they're still working. Uh, but the, the, you'll be able to draw, it, it's not a, a district-focused uh, facility. Yeah, that's what's wonderful about it is that it's going to cover Pleasure. a lot of, North, it'll cover North Louisiana uh, for now. And and I think there's a lot of students in Bossier and Webster and DeSoto that have this problem with dyslexia. And that what I've watched is I've given talks about this in various uh, community areas is people find out about it. Mm -hmm. uh, people who have uh, reading difficulties with their children who love their children, and that's all parents, okay, they look for a way to help them. And this school... Um, has really is a bright light and uh, how we can do that here in North Louisiana. I'm I'm just thankful that that Laura and the group decided that Shreveport would be the next place to go, and we've tried very hard to try to uh, introduce this and appreciate y'all introducing this to the community. 
Well, uh, I'm, I think this is a fantastic idea. Uh, Dr. Cassidy, tell me a little bit about the uh, how this, you know, first of all, for those not familiar, uh, you know, dyslexia goes further than just you know, letters being inverted. Is that correct? Tell me a little bit about the effects of dyslexia. Right. I think it's hard for people to understand. But mm -hmm. So the easiest way is to talk about how you would see it in your child. These are bright kids, average to above average intelligence. Uh, they might have delay, speech delay when they're two or three years old. So they go to a speech therapist. They have a difficult time rhyming. They have a difficult time learning and remembering the alphabet. Their spelling is terrible and their reading is slow and can be difficult. And again, they're bright kids, so you're, it's confusing to people, because mm -hmm. this is a... Because you think, well, they're, they're subpar intelligent. Right, right, but you think about Einstein who didn't, you know, learn how to uh, speak and read to much later, and that just tells you they're, they're not correlated in dyslexia. So are there tests done at a, at a young age for, for students to, to start screening this? So our recommendation is screening for dyslexia at the end of kindergarten. And then we take those that look like they're at risk for dyslexia and we test those children that would want to come to the school for free mm -hmm. uh, because it costs you know, several thousand dollars to get that done in the private sector. So there is a screening at the end of kindergarten. If we can get these kids in first grade, that's ideal. And uh, again, we offer uh, testing if it looks like you would want to come to the school. And we're starting that this morning, actually. And so who is funding? all of this expense you mentioned how expensive it is in the private sector right so we the money follows the child it, for public schools so we get the money at, like all public schools do we also do a lot of fundraising and so the community here has been incredibly gracious but we put the money we get from the state and the local taxes your your local property taxes however that in the classroom and so for the facilities, et cetera, we do fundraising. And we've been able to raise a good bit of money uh, in our community just when you talk about this because many of the people that uh, can give money uh, are, have been dyslexia and have, have been able to deal with that. And, and so it's a real uh, uh, significant way that way. The other thing I think is very interesting when you think about this, dyslexia is our jail population has 50% percentage of dyslexia. So if we could just teach children how to read and overcome dyslexia and become literate by the third grade, we're going to reduce the issues that we have in our even our uh, public safety sector. That is so fascinating. Talk a, a little bit about staff. Obviously, you want staff that is uh, familiar with this and how to teach uh, you know, because obviously it's it's not a, a normal teaching method. Right. So Pam Barker, who is a local uh, veteran educator here in Baton Rouge, she is going to be the principal. She is the principal now. All, and she's going through our training program, which is a two-year training program. Uh, we will be posting on Indeed for teachers and the qualifications, and then they will all go through teacher training this summer, begin that teacher training. Mm -hmm. It is called uh, Certified Academic Language Therapy, and it is a career path for teachers that want to do something uh, added to get more expertise. So 
it's a great i think it's a great avenue for teachers so it, go ahead phil and, and to add to that i think that learning that training uh, will can also go further than just at our at the school at louisiana key academy but that kind of expertise in the community can be shared with the traditional school system and so i think there's a lot of potential there where there's some learning to go on uh, on on how to deal with dyslexia and the reading difficulties in uh, all of the schools in cattle parents. when do you guys uh, expect to be open august first of august so this year yes we're yes. looking to get it going right and so we're recruiting students now and we'll be posting on indeed for teachers uh we're already posting for some positions now so if parents want to find out they think their child might be at risk what is their next move so the best way is to go to the website at lkaschools.com that's lkaschools.com and you can read about dyslexia and then you can go to the caddo parish uh, school tab and there is an online application if you want to talk to somebody about it Pam's number here is 318-752-6257 that's 752-6257 all right leave that with me because we may have somebody to ask later guys thank you so much Dr. Laura Cassidy Dr. Philip Roseman we appreciate your time this morning thank Good you luck. I think this is a fantastic idea thank you and uh, 101.7 FM. Oh. 101.7 FM, 710 Kiel, Mike M. McCarty. Louis R. Avalone co-hosting with me. I did speak with Erin yesterday a little bit. She did. She got out and about just a little bit yesterday. Um, she had sh uh, shoulder surgery. I'm sure everybody knows. And uh, she's recouping from that. She's supposed to. The doctor said he wanted her. Um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? But uh, not to be active for uh, two weeks before she got a release. But. She was feeling fine, and so she was going to try to get an early release. Hopefully, we'll get her back early next week, but we're grateful to have Louis R. Avalone in today. Mardi Gras week, we're wrapping up. It's Fat Tuesday next next Tuesday, right? Yeah. So uh, this is the last weekend. Crew of Gemini on Saturday night, and then uh, Crew of Highland on Sunday afternoon. And Louis, big weekend. Big, big weekend. Uh, last weekend, crew of Centaur, and um, always loved going to the, you know, to the parades. Uh, just having, uh, just having fun, getting out, seeing everybody, and uh, seeing all the folks that come in from all out of town. It's, it's Mardi Gras gotten huge in Shreveport, Bossier, and it's no doubt a credit to all of those crew members. Uh, you know, going back to 1989. Uh, who have put in a tremendous amount of blood, sweat, and tears to make it that way. And, you know, when my, my wife and I were first married and I was living down in New Orleans, so she moved down and she said, you know, I've never been to a Mardi Gras parade, a real Mardi Gras parade. And by that, she meant in downtown New Orleans. New Orleans, right. So I said, okay. And I hadn't either. So we drove down and it took us 45 minutes or more just to get into downtown New Orleans. Right. 
So we find a parking spot and then it's another 15, 20, 30 minutes to walk to Canal Street, you know, because there's so many people. And we were there for all of about 15 seconds. And she said, it's time to go. I've had enough. <laughs> and we turned around. And, you know, but I, I didn't, I, I agreed with her. I mean, there were things dripping and we were brushing up against things oh, that no. probably were hazardous uh, to, uh, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. I have no desire to go to New Orleans. I love New Orleans. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I love the architecture. I love the music. I love the culture. Oh, absolutely. The no, food. We loved being down there. But I have no desire to go during Mardi Gras for that very reason. So, the, you know, of course, in New Orleans, they're not all like that. There are several family-friendly parades that are in Uptown, for example. And... Our parades are very similar to that. They're very family right. friendly, and uh, and I think that's the that's the best part for me. That's a testament to Shreveport Bossier. And yeah, looking forward to this weekend, Louis R. Avalone in for Aaron McCarty, Mike and McCarty, one hundred one seven. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, Aaron McCarty out. We've got Louis R. Avalone in with us from American Ground Radio. Uh, and on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline this morning, I'm honored to welcome uh, Stephen Waggis back. He's the president of the LABI, Louisiana Association of Business and Industry. Stephen, good morning. Hey, good morning, Mike and Louis. How are y'all doing today? Wonderful. Thank you for, I know you're busy this morning. You, uh, you've got an event that you're speaking at. First of all, give me a brief, just a real quick summary of what the uh, LABI does. Yeah. No, so we are the, essentially, we're based out of Baton Rouge. We are the State Chamber of Commerce, and we're the State Manufacturing Association. So what that means is we've got about 2,000 businesses from around Louisiana, big, small, every industry you can think of, and they join us and they ask us to help promote and defend free enterprise. And so sometimes that means we're at the state capitol trying to push policies that can help economic growth. Sometimes we're in D.C. Uh, sometimes we're supporting and endorsing candidates for the legislature and statewide uh, offices to uh, believe in believe the private sector and try to promote free enterprise. And so we do whatever it takes to help businesses grow and expand here. And, um, you know, we've been there since 1974. It's a longstanding, uh, you know, uh, group and, and good stature down there in Baton Rouge. And, you know, my job as president is, I find my job is to, to get around the state as much as possible, get to visit with folks and in, in, in businesses all around the state, because what the priorities are in one region can be drastically different from another region. And so um, I'm always out and about trying to visit with local businesses and figure out how can I help you um, expand your business and grow your footprint here. Okay, now you're in town to, in Shreveport for, uh, you're speaking at a breakfast this morning to the Chamber of Commerce, and uh, tell us a little bit about what you'll be uh, what you'll be talking about this morning. Yeah, every year before legislative session starts, which is about two months from now, um, I usually go around the state and visit with local chambers and, 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 and speak about some of the issues that are coming up this year and, and get feedback on some of the, uh, the issues that are important to local business leaders. And, and today, the Shreveport Chamber and the Bossier Chamber are doing a combined meeting where I'll be going in, I'll be addressing that group, and I'll be talking about um, this year's upcoming session. But the truth of the matter is, 
2023 is much bigger for Louisiana than any one legislative session. Um, for those that may not know, this is a huge election year in Louisiana. This fall, because of term limits, we will elect a new governor. You've got several statewide elected officials looking at that spot. So there'll be a lot of new faces there. There's term limits up and down the legislature. And so, you know, in my opinion, this is the best chance Louisiana has had in generations to really put a, a, a fresh viewpoint and footprint on where this state's going to go. We're about to elect a, a whole new crop of leaders that are coming from the term limit world. These aren't career politicians. These are these are folks from the real world. And I think it's imperative for us to, to, to ask the tough questions this cycle, um, demand that any candidate running uh, has a strong vision for Louisiana. And then second, I'm going to talk about what we're doing as an organization to try to put together that vision, to create a strategic plan for Louisiana. And the big chunk of that is, if you look around the South right now, the South is booming. There's a Southern Renaissance. States like Georgia and Texas and Florida, they are absolutely exploding economically because people are leaving New York and California and Illinois and crazy states like that, and they're moving South. Mm -hmm. But right now, the data shows Louisiana's not getting any of that. And so we're trying to put together a plan that these term limited officials can buy into so that Louisiana can join the ranks of other southern states, begin to get growth, begin to get strong schools and a competitive tax code, and we can start you know, fighting against them because if so, I think this is a great opportunity to gain market share because of what's going on around the south right now. Now look, uh, out migration right now is at an epidemic level in our state. You have been quoted in the past by saying that Louisiana can keep they can attract new residents, new industry, by demanding better. What does that mean exactly, demanding? What can we do to demand better? Well, first of all, out-migration is a huge problem for us. In fact, we rank in the top ten of states that have lost population over the last couple of years. And that's embarrassing considering the South is exploding right now. So we got to stop that. And when I mean demand better, I, I would tell you this. Look, we're going to talk about a lot of policy this morning, and we've got a lot of strong opinions on different policies. But I'll tell you the most challenging issue Louisiana faces, and that is a culture of low expectations. We've got too many people in the private sector who feel like Louisiana is what it is. It'll never be more than that, and we just got to go with the flow. And i got to tell you, that is the absolute wrong way to look at this. And so demanding better means when we go into an important election cycle like this fall, and candidates knock on your door like you know they will, or they show up in your studio like you know they will, instead of have, you know, asking them, hey, who's your mama? What's your last name? Where did you go to high school? All that. Let's get to, hey, what's your plan for growth? Are you committed to doing a better job of holding our, our, our school system accountable and, and ensuring that they can teach our kids to read and write and put them in jobs out of technical skill in the local region? Are you committed to making our tax code more competitive, lowering rates, simplifying it? Are you committed to reducing the bureaucracy in Baton Rouge, removing some of these unnecessary regulations and red tape and boards and commissions, and allowing more freedom in the private sector and the individual families of the state instead of having everything controlled by Baton Rouge? If the business community asks those tough questions, if everyday citizens ask those tough questions, I think in the term limit world, you have candidates running who want to be that type of leader. And so I think if we demand more as a citizenry, we will start getting more in the term limit world. And the last thing I'd say on that is if you look at the secret sauce of what Texas and Florida and Tennessee and North Carolina are doing, their secret sauce is not that they put all their power and all their chips in the, in the state capital in their state. Their secret sauce is their local areas demand more, they get involved, uh, they take charge of their local destiny. And so we also want to, to tell the story of how those other states are winning and remind folks here, 
we can elect all the best leaders we want. The truth is every local region determines, determines their more destiny uh, than they realize. And we might have to get into our constitution as a state, streamline some of that to give them some of those powers to take it even higher here in Louisiana. Talking with Stephen Wagesback, president of the LABI. Stephen, there was a report that came out recently that Louisiana uh, ranks among the highest in tax rates in the nation. But yet, you know, you mentioned how the South is exploding states like Texas and Georgia and Florida, but we're not getting a piece of that. And, and you know, with our tax rates being as high as they are, it's it still seems we don't have the good roads to show for it or the quality education. What can we do to turn those things around to make sure that the funding gets to the things that are needed? Well, first of all, you're spot on. If you look at the states that are winning in the South, most of them, they have no income tax. And so they don't, they don't create a lot of income tax. And so what that does is that allows people who are working to keep more of their, their money in their pocket. And it tells uh, the rest of the country, hey, move your business, move your family here. It's almost like a, uh, a beacon call for those that want to keep more of their money in their pocket, and it, it helps your states grow. So the more we can reduce our income tax, the better. Um, the legislature did a, a good first start over the last couple of years, but we got to take a big leap in the next term and reduce that as much as we can down. That's one thing. Two, we have a very complicated sales tax system. If you're a small business in Louisiana, mm -hmm. you have different collectors and different auditors in every parish, and you have to find customers in other parishes to be successful as a small business. We have a complicated system that has a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of audit traps in it. We tried to fix this in the last uh, uh, legislative session. You know, the governor wasn't into it. We had to kind of force it. I think in the next term, you will have a governor who's excited about this. If we can simplify how we collect our taxes, in addition to lowering rates, we can really unleash the power of small businesses to be more competitive and put us in line with other states. The other thing that's the more complicated question is you look at these states that are winning, they keep more of their taxes local. That means they pay more property taxes local, and they pay no income tax to the state. And so local areas keep more of their dollars. They can invest locally in roads. They can invest locally in schools. That's what Texas does. That's what Florida does. That is a look that, that some people like that idea. Some people don't. That's going to have to be debated in next term. And, and, and you don't have to adopt that to be competitive as, as a state in the South. But I do think you have to continuously find ways to lower that income tax. And I do think you need to find ways to continuously streamline how we administer our tax code and simplify it for families and small businesses. Amen. Stephen Waggis back from the LABI. I know your event starts here in a few minutes. Man, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with us this morning. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to coming on again soon. Let, let us know when you roll back into town. Amen. We'll do. Take what, care. Thank you, sir. 1017 FM 710. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty Erin uh, still recover uh, recovering from her shoulder surgery Lewis R Avalone from American Ground Radio and the Republican Party of Caddo Parish is uh, graciously stepped in this morning uh, Lewis would you of course we just spoke with Stephen Waggis back from the uh, Louisiana Association of Business and Industry and I, I wish we would have had more time we had we had actually had time scheduled. But uh, he texted me early this morning and said, 
hey, I thought my event started at 8.30. It starts at 8. So uh, that that's why it was kind of abbreviated. But he brought up some good points. I love the work that they're doing. But is the state making it? First of all, we talked about the tax rate in Louisiana being the highest in the nation. And yet, you know, we don't have the benefits of paying those higher taxes like good roads and, uh, you know, better education Right. Well, so, I mean, the state legislature talks about overhauling our sales tax system, but Louisiana at 9.55% is number one in the country. Uh, it's tied with Tennessee, by the way, but Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax. Hmm. And, you know, it, it is time for our legislature to turn things around because if you look at all of the states around us, Look at Arkansas. They're reducing their state income tax. Mm-hmm. But look at the governor that they have. Mississippi has done the same. And when you look across the country, those states that have reduced their state income tax or eliminated it altogether, those are the states that are growing. People are moving there. There is economic activity because when you create a business-friendly environment, businesses respond and they bring their employees and their employees bring their families and they buy houses and washing machines and they fuel a local economy and in louisiana i think in in you know i've heard this said about shreveport as well uh it's hard to do business with the government and i i know um uh mario chavez when he was running he said i want to run it like i run my business you know, focusing on customer service. Now, I thought that was, what an interesting concept. Well, you have to first you... hire people who understand that you're in the service business in the first place. Exactly. I mean, in terms of in government, that is. In, in the state as well, you know, what can the state do to make it easier to do business? And, and look at the states that have done that well, like like Florida. What you know? What is Florida doing? What is Arkansas doing um, to to make it easier for businesses to look at us and and stop this the bleeding that we have with the uh, outward migration that you brought up a minute ago? Look, you've got Tennessee, Washington, Arkansas, Alabama, Oklahoma. Those are all states that have lowered their income taxes. So the question is, you know. Is Louisiana on the list of the highest sales tax states because we don't have an income tax or we have lowered our income taxes or are we on that list because we're one of the most dysfunctional states in the union? Obviously, the question is, we're one of the most dysfunctional states in the union. How can, again, how can we fix that? We we know how we can fix it. And listening to Mr. Wagesback, He says, we've got to demand better. And and I think that is true. I think a lot of folks, you know, and we were talking off air with our our next guest. You know, he mentioned he loves traveling this state and meeting the people. I think Billy Nungesser, Lieutenant Governor, has Mm -hmm. said it many times. Our people in Louisiana are our greatest asset. And, you know, sometimes when we're just reading the headlines, we don't realize all the goodness that there is in this state. And, and yes, there's plenty to complain about. But when you become, you know, just resigned to the fact that this is who we are, or things aren't going to get better. Self-defeating. 
it never will be. It's a self-defeating it attitude. Speaking of our next guest, Tim Temple, he's a, a candidate for insurance commissioner in Louisiana. He'll be joining us after the local news. Mike and McCarty with Louis R. Avalone, 1017 FM, 710 Keel. One zero one seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone in for air and also in studio with us this morning, Tim Temple, candidate for insurance commissioner for the state of Louisiana. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mike. You making the rounds? Making the rounds. It's good to meet you. Uh, first time. Sorry I couldn't meet Aaron, but I'm glad I'm here in the studio because I get to see an old face from the past, Lewis. Well, it's not that old. <laughs> But it is from the past. Which is all as mine. <laughs> now, now you're running for insurance commissioner. I am. Tell us a little bit about Tim Temple, first of all. Sure. You've uh, never run for political office before. I, I ran for commissioner in 2019. It was the first time I'd ever run for any okay. office, uh, statewide office as well. But I uh, grew up in DeRitter, grew up in, the in, in an insurance family, uh, worked in the industry over 20 years and over that 20-year period I wore a lot of different hats in, mm -hmm. in, in the uh, in the industry my father and his partner started a company called Amerisafe so I got to see you know through his eyes an insurance agent and then an insurance company owner uh, I started off as an insurance agent actually here in Shreveport uh, in, in the in the mid-90s if you okay. will early to mid-90s uh, so started cut my teeth in the insurance industry here in Shreveport and over the, like I said, the, almost the next 20 years, I wore a lot of different hats, insurance agent. Uh, I was in the reinsurance business. I was a reinsurance broker. And you hear reinsurance being talked about a lot with our current crisis. Uh, I was uh, part of a large commercial trucking MGA management team, uh, worked for a, a large TPA doing claims administration, worked for one of the largest catastrophe claims uh, adjusting firms in the country. Uh, so I've worn a lot of different hats, and I've seen insurance from almost all the angles. Now... Our current insurance commissioner has been in office, what, what 17 he, years? He's going on 17 years in that seat, and he's been at the department for 23 years, so two what, decades. So what was your impetus saying, I, I want to I run for insurance commissioner? I, I, I can do a better job. Well, Mike, you know, I, when I ran in 19, uh, the, the issue then is still the same. It's just amplified today, and that's that we were facing an insurance crisis, you know, four years ago. Uh, obviously, it's a lot bigger crisis than it is, t uh, you know, today than it was in 19. But it, it didn't change the facts. I mean, you know, here in, in North Louisiana, you're facing a homeowner's crisis today, which they were starting to face, you know, four years ago. We're all facing, you know, uh, private passenger auto. Louisiana is the most expensive state mm -hmm. in America for private passenger auto. I was going to bring that up, and, and, and it has been, and that's a crisis. It's not one that happened because of hurricanes. That's just it's it's built up over the last 15, 17 years. Um, you know, we've got a, a flood, our, our flood program, our national flood program. And, and I, I know, I've he I hear it all the time, that that's not something that the Department of Insurance, the commissioner, regulates. But that doesn't mean you can't advocate for change. And we need to advocate for change. It's, it's forcing families in South Louisiana out of their homes because they can't afford the flood insurance. On top of, you can't afford your homeowner's insurance. On top of, your auto insurance is so expensive. And then, you know, I think the fourth... Uh, you know, leg of the chair, if you will, on our insurance crisis is commercial trucking. And, you know, you see it and, and your listeners are experiencing it here. I mean, there's there's log trucks, there's big trucks, you know, running the roads, hauling, you know, uh, oil field supply equipment and that kind of stuff. They're paying some of the highest rates in the country if they can find someone to write those those type of trucks. And again, that's not a crisis that just started this year. It's been brewing for a long time. 
and we just seem to keep sticking our head in the sand, trying to do the same old thing, and that's not working. And quite frankly, Louisianans, we can't afford it anymore. Now, the state legislature just concluded a very special session. Its sole purpose of convening was to address the insurance crisis in our state. Insurance Commissioner Jim Donnellan's plan uh, was to place $45 million into a state fund to incentivize insurance companies to write policies in Louisiana. Was that the right solution? I'll tell you, it was a step, but I think it was a misplaced step. You know, the, the, the incentive program, so let's, if you look at that, we're taking $45 million of taxpayer money and allocating it, giving it to for-profit companies. It was done in 2006, 7, and 8, and back then I think the, the governor had allocated $100 million. That was after Katrina and Rita, so we had another homeowner's crisis back then. And the intent then was to bring new companies to Louisiana to write primarily in South Louisiana. I think of the hundred million, roughly thirty or twenty-nine million was 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 used, utilized. Five companies came in. Looking back at that program, I mean, it, I think you have to admit it was flawed. It brought in five companies. One has gone insolvent. One left the state, and you know it said that the success was that dozens of companies came in after those you know those five initial companies and wrote you know insurance in Louisiana. Well, let's fast forward to today. In a 12-month period, we had four hurricanes. We've had 11 companies go insolvent. We've had dozens more leave the state. So did that pro what did that program really accomplish? When there wasn't any storm activity, yeah, those companies were happy to be in the state of Louisiana. But when we need them, when you, know, you the listener, when, you know, when, you're, when you've had a storm and your roof is gone, where have those companies gone? They've left. So it was a great program when there wasn't a need for it. But when you have the true need, those companies aren't here anymore. So I, I think it was a flawed program, and we're just reinventing the wheel. And if you look at the companies that they've said that are interested in the program, I think I, I hear eight, I've heard 10. Yesterday I heard 12 companies have expressed interest. I think most of them, or seven or eight, it said, are already in Louisiana. So we're not incentivizing new companies to come in. We're just handing money to companies that are already here. And look, I, I want those companies to be here and be profitable and continue to write business, but if they're already here, what are we really doing? So what would you do differently than Commissioner Donnellan? And I, and I know it's a multifaceted approach, so maybe what is the number? If you had called this special session together as insurance commissioner, what would you have hoped to have accomplished? Yeah, do you have a plan to lower our rates? Yeah, well, look, the, the, the only way you get lower rates is through competition. So look, I think we need to just we need to acknowledge that. You can't legislate. You can't mandate lower rates. It, it, mm -hmm. It's historically proven not to work. The only way to do it is have someone that wants to offer you their product for a dollar less, and, and that's through competition. So, you know, what we've got to do is look at what makes Louisiana competitive. How do we make Louisiana more competitive? And your question, Louis, about the special session. Okay, so we've had someone that's been sitting in that seat for 17 years. I, I would say that their their term was born out of the crisis of Katrina and Rita. So they've had 17 years to think of how do we improve the state, how do we make it more competitive, what can we do? We get to a point where, you know, a special session was, was called, and the it's, one, it's a one-shot wonder solution. It's literally a silver bullet, even though this, I hear it all the time, there is no such thing in a silver bullet, and, and I believe that, there is no such thing, but that's what it was presented as. We do this, and we're going to save Louisiana homeowners. Well, 
it's not happening. Florida has had, you know, they had one hurricane last year, and their crisis is as bad, if not worse, than Louisiana's. Last year, their legislature had two special sessions, one in May and one in December, I believe. The first special session Florida had, there were six or seven items that they brought. The second special session they had, uh, you know, maybe half a dozen again, I, and I don't remember the count exactly. But we have a special session called at the behest of the commissioner, and he brings one solution. As commissioner, I would have come with a package. I mean, we've got some regulatory challenges in Louisiana. We are not a regulatory, we're not a friendly state for insurance companies to do business. And we have to acknowledge that insurance companies, they get to choose where they put their capital at, work, at risk. And if they want to write business in, let's just say, the coastal states, you've got Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. They get to choose where they do business. If we're the most heavily regulated, most difficult state to do business with, why do you want to choose to Louisiana? So, so that's what we have to acknowledge, is that we are not a competitive state. So, so to, to, to long-winded answer, right? Insurance is complex. There is no simple solution. But I would have come with a package to address regulatory changes, some statutory changes. You know, we need to look at, you know, our legal environment is one of the most challenging in the country. We need to, you know, there, there's some good ideas out there work with the legislature, work with, you know, this next session or next year, we're going to have a new governor, we're going to have a new attorney general, new treasurer, new commissioner of insurance, we're going to have, you know, a handful of new legislators, work with that team to develop some, some, some long-lasting changes that are going to bring new companies to Louisiana because, again, lower rates or competitive rates, you need more companies here. All right. Tim Temple, uh, candidate for insurance commissioner, thank you for coming in. Appreciate your time, and good luck to you. Hey, glad to be here. Look forward to uh, visiting with you again. I hope so. 101.7 FM. One zero one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty. Thank you uh, to Tim Temple for coming in studio. He uh, he said lives in Baton Rouge. He does live in Baton Rouge. He's from DeRitter originally. From DeRitter, yeah. So down south, uh, lived in Shreveport for a couple years. Sure. Um, and and I asked you the question off mic because we didn't get to it on the air. But uh, Republican or Democrat? And uh, <laughs> you really? I mean, you're really you're just teeing that up for me because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does matter. He You're is welcome. A, no, he is a Republican. It does but it, it does matter. The question, Absolutely. Right. I think your question off air was, you know, is that really critical or you know, obviously his competency with respect to insurance matters is first and foremost. But I asked the question and and it's a serious one. Name me one Democrat elected official who is fiscally responsible. Just one. <laughs> Just I, I'll wait. We'll wait. Yeah. No. All in on uh, what? What do we call the the it's, hotline? It's, uh, <laughs> I'm new here. I Shreveport just started. Security Systems yeah. Message Board. Call yeah. in on the message board. Uh, chat, text. Uh, one just of, name me one. Yeah. Anyone. I, I, so yeah, I, I agree a, with you. No, I agree with it's you. It's important, but it's it's important to get to know the candidate. Don't just go by party label. And, no, absolutely. And, you know, he was telling us off air how he travels all across the state. You know, this is his second time running for insurance commissioner. It's obviously something. I mean, you don't run for statewide office twice for something that doesn't matter to you. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's certainly uh, impressive. 
Uh, on uh, speaking of the Shreveport Security Systems message board, we 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 did talk to uh, Tim Temple about insurance rates in Louisiana being the you know some of if not the highest in the nation. And uh, Aaron says we have a Sue Happy auto accident state, which makes insurance go up. Oh, absolutely. And you know, speaking of being fiscally responsible, just realize. And we're about to go into a new legislative session uh, on April the 10th. It's a fiscal session in the legislature. Our state budget, our 2023 state budget, is an unprecedented $47 billion. Which has gone up. And and that budget relied on one-time COVID-19 pandemic recovery, hurricane rehabilitation, and a once-in-a-generation investment from the federal government. And in 2025, there are state sales tax cuts that are scheduled. Some folks wanted to accelerate it to begin in 2024, but nevertheless, they're still on for these cuts to take place in 2025. It's going to cut the 0.45% sales tax. We're going to lose as a state about $420 million in revenue. So that's going to make it difficult to pay for everything else. Oh, more good news. Well, that's why you need to elect a fiscally responsible governor, insurance commissioner, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Absolutely. Louis R. Avalone in for air. And we've got uh, Senator Bill Cassidy going to join us on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline right after the news. Mike and McCarty. What- One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone from American Ground Radio sitting in for Aaron this morning. And on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline this morning, uh we welcome Senator Bill Cassidy. Good morning, Senator. Thanks for uh, talking with us this morning. I know you've got a busy schedule. Hey, thank you. I understand y'all have had some great guests this morning. So uh uh, anyway, good for your program. Thank you so much. It's been a busy day. Look, I want to ask you about basically who who is in charge how how do we let a chinese spy balloon traverse our entire country and then start willy-nilly shooting things down after that what's what's going yeah, on go, senator don't, don't go flying the kite right now brother <laughs> <laughs> exactly um you know um what we're told is that there was a gap in how our satellites looked at things. Uh, and so as things would come across Alaska that um, our, our intelligence didn't kind of have its, whatever you call it, the sensors, its cameras pointed all over the place. And somebody knew how to exploit that. Clearly the People's Republic, excuse me, the Chinese Communist Party did. And they would send things through that gap. Um, now, as you might guess, the people who are paid to defend us, um, people such as those at Barksdale, but they are now redirecting their assets to be able to pick up these sorts of objects. In the meantime, they're picking up things like, you know, the size of an ATV floating across Lake Huron. We don't know what those things are. We don't know if there's something similar to the spy balloon, much smaller, 
uh, or whether it is just like, you know, somebody, you know, Google put up a weather balloon and it kind of escaped its tether and now it's kind of floating out there. We don't know that. Uh, or at least if we, if we know uh, the Defense Department's not telling anybody. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where we are, Mike. Well, and that's another thing that's very disturbing is the lack of transparency. Uh, Senator Bill Cassidy on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. The president, they, he's ordered three other objects they, that they apparently don't know what they are, which I don't believe. Um, but he hasn't addressed the nation at all explaining what's going on. Yeah, I don't think the president wants that sort of back and forth with reporters. He prefers a much more controlled situation in which he can get prepared comments and limit questions. You've got lots of questions. Everyone has lots of questions. This president does not want to field wide-ranging questions. I don't think he feels like he can handle it. Senator Cassidy, do you think it's time that Joe Biden step down? Well, I thought it was time for him to step down when he got elected four years ago or two years ago. Uh, but if, 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 if what you're asking, uh, do I think that the president is capable of being president? Uh, um, he's not the same man he was eight years ago. That's pretty evident to everybody. Uh, he's obviously got a team around him, gives him a great deal of assistance. Uh, the American people are the ones who are going to decide whether he stays in office. I will be voting for somebody different. Well, it's 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 disturbing. We look weak in the eyes of the world. Um, it's embarrassing that we have a commander in chief that is is not commanding anything. Well, I also though I have a little bit more optimism than perhaps you do, Mike, because people don't just look at our commander in chief. They look at the ability of our armed services. Um, so I'm thinking of the folks at Barksdale, Fort Polk, et cetera. Uh, they look at the ability of our airmen, of our soldiers, Marines, and uh, naval personnel, our clandestine services as well, and there's no one in the world who is better. So I agree that our uh, commander-in-chief uh, is, frankly, weak. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, the, um, uh, uh, the the sophistication of our weaponry and the commitment of our armed services is greater than anybody else in the world. And I think ultimately that trumps anything else. Well, it, and it's interesting you say that because I, I, I feel the same way. I, there, I don't think we're second to anybody when it comes to our military and our capabilities, <laughs> which leads me to believe that this wasn't an accident that this, this balloon was able to travel the entire breadth of our nation, taking photographs, video, information, and sending it back to China. Um, how did we well, not know this was happening? I don't believe we well, didn't know. Well, what I don't know uh, is um, uh, satellites. Now, maybe they're more interested in radio transmissions, uh, because satellites take pictures from outer space in which you can see people next to cars. It is incredible the optics on satellite cameras. So, so it may be that they're more interested in hearing signals. Uh, you can imagine the military, once they detected it, would have been shutting down any communications that could have been picked up. But the point is that these are things that we should not allow to happen, 
And uh, and what I hear from the armed services is that they have a commitment to making to, to adapting their systems so that they can better protect these things floating across. Uh, Senator, uh, talking with uh, Bill Cassidy, I want to change gears just a moment. Uh, we just had a, a candidate for insurance commissioner for the state of Louisiana on a few moments ago, and, and he mentioned flood insurance and our risk rating at 2.0. You're working on uh, also the uh, the challenge of being able to get affordable flood insurance for the state of Louisiana. Tell us what you're working on. Absolutely. This is an issue that affects everybody across that state. I remember in 2016 being with Sheriff Whittington out on the Red River, and I said, Julian, is that the bank? He goes, that's not the bank. Uh, there's the bank. There was so, The water was so high, you couldn't tell where the bank was unless you happen to know the outlines of the river to begin with. So the Biden administration has put in a, um, a, a rating, a, a, a way to increase premiums for the flood insurance program, which, which will increase premiums by 18% per year. Now, the first year you can handle that, maybe the second, but this is compounding. So I use the example. I gave a speech on the floor of a, a family of the bourgeois from Raceland. They've never flooded. They don't live in a floodplain. They're 83 years old. Uh, they're paying $500 a year for flood insurance. They're, when fully implemented, they'll be paying more than $500 a month. Now, at that time, it'll be four or five years from now, but they'll be in their late 80s on a fixed income, and they'll be paying $6,000 a year for flood insurance. And they've never flooded and don't live in a floodplain. Now, this is punitive. This is not going to work. So one thing we're working on, a variety of things. First, we've got a short-term, an intermediate, and long-term plan. Short-term, we're asking the administration to cap that 18% at something more reasonable than 9%. You're still raising premiums. It still compounds. It's not 18%. Secondly, we've got a piece of legislation we're putting forward with a senator from New Jersey. Two parties, two regions, increases our chance of getting it passed. We're working to pass that legislation to make the program more affordable, more sustainable, sustainable more accountable. Lastly, the bipartisan infrastructure bill that I worked on, we had provisions in there with $3 billion going to mitigate the risk of flooding prioritizing areas of our country that have flooded in the last 10 years. I'm told Louisiana has submitted about 50% of the claims to the National Flood Insurance Program, so our state will disproportionately benefit. There's also $3 billion to, uh, for coastal restoration and flood mitigation on the coastline, and so that also helps decrease our premiums because if Cameron Parish or if Lafourche and Terrebonne are less likely to flood, there's less stress on the flood insurance program. Gotcha. So both in the short, intermediate, long term, we're trying to address this issue. All right, just to shift gears uh, once again, I know you're concerned about Social Security and Medicare, making sure that those trust funds remain solvent. I want to hear what the Congress is doing to do that, what you are doing to do that. But first, why is President Biden lying to the American people, saying that Republicans are seeking to sunset Social Security, to cut Medicare, when clearly you and other Republicans in Congress are doing the exact opposite. So, Lewis, the president on a State of the Union, hang on, guys. Excuse me, my sneeze. The president, excuse me. The Bless president, you. thank you, and a State of the Union speech basically said he's running for election. 
Not the same guy he was eight years ago. Not sure where he's going to be in six more years, but he's going to run for re-election. And he's going to use Social Security as a wedge issue. He's choosing to be dishonest to the American people. He's acting like Social Security is in good shape and you don't have to do anything and people still get their benefits. But in about six or eight years, in about six or eight years, the program goes insolvent and by current law, beneficiaries, those getting benefits right now, will see their benefits cut by 24 to 27%. Now, the president didn't say that. By the way, there's other issues. In our state, our workers, uh, uh, state and local workers are affected by something called weapon GPO. We need to fix that. He doesn't want to touch that either. He wants to pretend that all is hunky-dory so that he can get reelected. It is dishonest to the American people. That's not a surprise. It is a lie. Yes. We've well, got that, to fix it. We've you, got a plan that preserves benefits but also addresses these issues. I know you've got a tight schedule, and uh, you need to move on. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. 101.7 FM. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty uh, uh Lewis R. Avalone from American Ground Radio uh Insta you guys you we were talking a minute ago. Y'all are in would you say forty markets 40 now? Different markets, yeah. It's ex- oh it's Lewis, that's the, amazing. Yeah, it's exciting. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm so happy for you guys. Well, it all started right here in this studio. Yeah, I taught them everything they know. Ruben, <laughs> Ruben said it was it, his exactly. It, it started right there with Ruben. His amazing producing is what got you guys going. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it, no, it's true. We it's had true. The, we had the, a candidate for insurance commission Tim Temple in studio a little earlier this morning, and uh, and after he left, we never asked him on the air because, uh, you know, on, on one hand you can go, well, it's not really relevant, Republican or Democrat. But then you made a great point. It is relevant, and I agree with you. Yeah, I'd ask the question, name me one elected Democrat who is fiscally responsible. Just name me one. And, of course, I, I got an answer. I got the one. <laughs> I love this. It's LeVette Fuller. Absolutely. LeVette Fuller, she was on the Shreveport City Council, and arguably, I know there's lots of folks out there that may say, well, we don't agree with everything that she says. Okay, but I do, and I would make the argument, for all intents and purposes, she was very fiscally Absolutely. conservative. And, and she she really looked out, a, a, for her district, but what was best for the city. Also accountability. I, really, I, I think that. Absolutely. Yeah, this so. isn't a political advertisement for her, no. but it does answer the question. Uh, but okay, outside of Levette Fuller, name me one <laughs> elected official who's a Democrat that is also fiscally responsible. Yeah, that, I'll wait. Uh, no, I I agree. I agree. And congratulations, Levette. Yeah, that yeah, absolutely correct. Uh, Lewis, thank you so much for coming in this morning. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. We hope Erin will be back uh, first and next week, but we'll wait and see when she gets her release. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel.